In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who gives us a reason to party. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in 1938, there was a group of uh, swim coaches and some of the people that they coached, some of the athletes that they coached. And this group of swim coaches and athletes decided that they were going to travel down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, so, so they went down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and, and the thing that they were going to do while they were there was they were going to get together. Their season had just ended. And they were going to get together. They were going to do some fun training, uh, some exhibition meets. And then the coaches and the athletes were able to trade ideas. They were able to get to know one another. It it was a, a pretty good thing. And, in fact, it was such a good thing that the next year the... The coaches and the athletes decided, well, hey, uh, we're going to go down to Fort Lauderdale. Uh, You don't swim, but uh, you can come along with me and we'll hang out while you're there. And uh, that that was really great, and that happened. And uh, then the next year, even more people came. And the next year, even more people came. And this began to be called Spring Break on college campuses throughout the nation. And pretty soon it became a really pretty big deal in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which around this time got the nickname Fort Liquordale. I don't know how much swimming was going on anymore. And uh, eventually in 1985, Fort Lauderdale's mayor got up in front of uh, a city commission and said, students are no longer welcome in Fort Lauderdale for spring break. And they shut it down. That's why uh, you you don't have uh, MTV at spring break at Fort Lauderdale anymore. It's because Fort Lauderdale said, you cannot come here anymore. We do not want you. Because there were about... 385,000 students at the time that were showing up in Fort Lauderdale to party, which is actually a little bit less than the approximately 500,000 students that are scheduled to show up in Panama City this week. Right now, for uh, right now, spring break is basically its own multi-million dollar business. In fact, uh, estimates say that around one billion, with a B, dollars are spent on spring break in our nation every year. That the, uh, that right around $1,100 is about what every person who is going to spring break, spends that week. It's a huge industry. And it's an industry that has gotten a little bit in in a little bit of trouble here lately. There's been all sorts of crime statistics that have also come pouring out of places like Daytona Beach and Panama City and other places in Texas. And there's kind of this question about, well, is spring break you know, really a good thing after all? Couldn't we just get people back to swimming? 
And, and there's kind of this question. And for me personally, I was just telling somebody this this week. For me personally, I've always kind of wanted, you know, we're so close. I've always kind of wanted to just kind of drift over to Panama City one day and just embrace it and just see it. And, and you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what that says about me. Hopefully it says that, that I really like a, a good party. It probably also says that I'm maybe a little bit too curious about some things. Um, uh, but I, I've always kind of wanted to, to get out to Panama City and, and to really kind of experience that for myself. And, and I doubt that I would be super shocked at anything. Um, uh, first of all, I was a bartender in undergrad. Uh, secondly, I'm a pastor. Um, and so between those two things, I've seen or heard about just about everything. And and so there's kind of this sense of like what's it what's it like? And and I think if if we really examine ourselves, maybe you know Panama City Spring Break isn't your thing, but if we really look at ourselves, there's something about a party that we're all kind of interested in. We're all kind of interested in this sense of celebration and what it means for us to get together and party and what it means for us to have a good time with people around us. And uh, how, do pe- how do people do that in this culture? How do people do that in that culture? And if you look at our text for today, which is the uh, quote-unquote story of the prodigal son, the, the story is all about two guys that want to party. You have the, the, the younger son who, I mean, basically, if you reread that story, he goes to spring break. He just lives there for a really long time. It's like he moves to Panama City. He goes and he, he says, Father, I, I want the, the money that I would have gotten as an inheritance, and I'm going to take that money and I am going to go to Panama City and I'm going to do whatever I want. I am not just going to spend $1,100. I am going to spend so much more than that on all sorts of different things. And sure enough, he, he does. He goes and pretty soon he finds out that he's broke. And while he's out there, he finds somebody who raises pigs. Now, this is a good Jewish boy. And so as a good Jewish boy, he's been, he's been raised to know that pigs are, are no good. But yet, there he is. That's the only job he can find is to serve food to pigs. And it gets so bad that even the food that the pigs have been eating looks delicious to him. And so he comes up with a plan. And, and, and I love his plan. You can, you can see him formulating it together. Uh, you know, I'll go back to my father. I will say, I'm not worthy to be your son. So there's a little bit of repentance there. And then I'm going to give him uh, what I want. And so what I want is uh, hire me back as a servant. I don't need to be your son anymore. Just make me a servant, and then everything will be good. I will be able to eat, and I'll probably be able to sneak out about every other weekend and go and have some fun. I mean, did you think that the younger brother is all of a sudden just going to turn around and become Mr. Rogers? He's still going to be the younger brother. And so he goes back, and uh, the father sees him from a long way off. And it's this great picture of, of 
what grace really is, and the Father sees him, and he says, go and, and get these things, and we're going to have a party. Of course, then the, the older brother comes in, and the older brother also wants a party, we find out. It's just that the older brother has not been quite so proactive. The older brother has been waiting around for his party, and he's pretty ticked off that he hasn't gotten it. He's been waiting around. He's been a good boy. He's been like, well, you know, if I just wait long enough, Dad's going to get me a party bus. And there's going to be all sorts of crazy things that are happening in the party bus. It's going to be fantastic. But um, uh, I'll just wait, and I'll be a good boy, and, and eventually this will happen. Well, it doesn't happen. And he actually sees his father roll out the party bus for the younger brother, and he goes, what is that? And so he's, you know, he kicks the dirt and he says, oh, I don't want to go and, and party with my younger brother, that, that guy. And so his father comes out and he's, what's the deal? And whiny older brother says, you never got me a goat. <laughs> and the father goes, oh. I thought your brother was dead in Panama City. <laughs> and we laugh, but we're probably one of them. We're, we're probably either the younger brother who, you know who you are in this room, Maybe you've got a little bit of a headache from something that you did this weekend. Maybe you were out at FSU baseball for a little bit too long last night. And, and, and you're the proactive partier. You're, you're the one who's like, oh, yeah. Or, or maybe you're, you're more like the older brother. You're, you're like the one, well, if I wait, good things will happen to me. But we... The, the thing about those two things are, is that no matter who we are, if we're the younger brother or if we're the older brother, then there's still something wrong with us. It, it's kind of like every year, it, it's amazing, every year there's a seventh grade class that comes to us from Stewart, Florida. And uh, they are... Um, uh, just, it, it's a weird moment for me because me and seventh graders, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, God bless Janice over there. She works with them all the time. And, and they show up, and we do the same thing every year to them. It, and it, it works like clockwork because we say, well, what do you think it's going to be like when you come to college? And, and there's two groups of kids. There are the kids who say... Well, when I get to college, there is going to be drinking. There is going to be drugs. One year we had somebody say there is going to be weapons. <laughs> we said leave those at home. And, and you know, they, those are kind of, you know, like the heathen kids. Like, you know who they are. And, and you know, okay, yeah, okay, that's that's you. And then there's the pious kids. 
And the pious kids are the ones that we ask that question, you know, what, what's college going to be like? And they're, they're like, well, I, I took AP already in seventh grade, and so college is only going to be about two years for me, and I'm going to spend it, the entire time I'm going to spend in the library. And, oh, I hear they have this amazing magnetic lab here. Could we go and see that? And the one thing that neither of those groups ever mention is Jesus. It completely evades them that church and Jesus need to be a part of their lives. Because in both of those sets of the answers, just like both of the sons, everything's all about them. It's either all about what they want to do in order to get ahead in life or what they want to do in order to just have fun while they're here. And that's the beauty of the picture of the Father. The beauty of the picture of the Father in this story is quite simply that the Father drops everything for his boys. The Father sees his younger son off in the distance, and he drops everything, and he runs after him, and he includes him back in the family. The father stops the party and walks out in order to go find out what's wrong with his older son. The father's always about the other. And that's what our Father is about. He's not about Himself. He's about us. And that figures into what it means for us to come to worship. Now, many of you know that I have this kind of allergic reaction to a lot of church words. Because I think a lot of church words are just kind of silly. I still, to this day, have no idea what the word ministry means. I mean, if you think about the way that it's used by so many other people, I mean, we might as well just say orange. Yeah. My, my church has a great orange. And, and worship is kind of one of those things. What, what does worship mean? Well, there's this great German term, and we're in kind of a German church. Even I hate saying that, too. There's this great ter German term. It's called it's Gottesdienst. I'm probably saying that bad. I'm not German. Gottesdienst. It means God's service. And, and what, what it really means is that God is bringing you stuff. And so I, I'd rather call this, you know, out on, on the sign out front, I always do the question and then I say worship 11 a.m. because people understand what worship means. But if I wanted to confuse everybody, I, I think what I'd like to put there is delivery, 11 a.m. <laughs> and people would wonder if we've got, like, pregnant women in here. And they'd show up and they'd be like, what's going on? They'd see all the twins and they'd go, well, obviously... But that's what God does for us every Sunday here. 
It's what worship is to us. It's being here for God's delivery. That from the very moment that when we get started and you receive the forgiveness of your sins in confession and absolution, to when we read Scripture and we talk about it together, to when we share the sacrament of God's own body and blood that He's delivering to us here, to those moments when we have a baptism and somebody is brought into God's family by Him showing up and delivering His gifts here in this place. God shows up with the party. God delivers the party to us in our sin, no matter if that is sin that looks like what's happening right now in Panama City, or if that is sin that looks more like, well, this room, and the self-righteousness that is bound to be somewhere in this room. God delivers His grace to us. And says, here it is. Here is my love. Here is my care. Here is everything that you need. It's important to notice in this story that the first thing that the father does for the younger son, the first thing that he calls for is a robe. And you go, well, maybe he was naked. He was in Panama City. But that's probably not it at all. The robe is a special garment. It's a special gown. It's a gown that you do not use while you are working. It's like a tuxedo. If you see somebody in a tuxedo, you don't go, that person is going to work. Unless they're a maitre d'. If you see a person in a tuxedo, you say, well, that, that person is going someplace to celebrate. They are not working for anything. They are celebrating the fruits of their labor. They're celebrating something great that has happened to them. They are going to a party. And that is us. You have been given God's tuxedo this morning. In worship. He has delivered it to you. So that you might wear it well. Amen.